0: Today we start our series through the book of Revelation, and like many of you, I have to admit I sometimes shy away from this book because it's so unlike anything else that I read or encounter. It's not often that you read about beasts coming from the sea or creatures with eyes covering their bodies or worldwide catastrophe, and yet Revelation is a piece of the canon of Scripture. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was written to benefit us. And so we shouldn't be scared of Revelation because... Revelation was given to us to give us confidence and clarity. Uh, As a matter of fact, it says that right at the very outset of the book. uh, As John is recording his revelation, uh, we'll start with chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the book of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and keep what is written, for the time is near. You see, John says something here pretty clear. He says that if you read the book of Revelation, you're blessed. And so my goal through the series is to read as much of this book out loud as possible. And so let's continue reading here through the rest of chapter 1. John writes, verse 4, he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our own sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests, serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Tyra, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see I'm alive forever and ever. I might interject here. It's as though Jesus is saying to John, John, don't you remember me? He continues. He says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you've seen, what is and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get pumped up and I'm ready to fight. And it's simple, because I know who holds the keys to death and Hades. If he's on my side, what is there to be afraid of in this world? You get the feeling that this is what it's supposed to be like. That the book of Revelation is somehow a pep talk to hurting churches, and that this is why John is commanded to write down all of these things, because God wants these words in a book. He wants it to be kept. He wants it to be read. He wants it to be studied and preserved. This word of prophecy is important to God, and it's important to these churches He's addressing. And you know what? It's important for us today to hear these prophetic words. And as with all prophecy, revelation is more about the present than the future. Uh, if you go through here, what are the commands that John's given? Well, there, 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 there are two that I count, and they're present. The first is to not be afraid, which is something you do right now. The second is a restatement, which is to write. Uh, these are things John is to do immediately. Nowhere in the book of Revelation does it say, John, do this later, or hold this for somebody else. It says, do these things now. Now, I know these are simple examples, but if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see this is how most of God's prophecy worked. God is constantly having his prophets go to the people of Israel. And he's saying, hey, listen, you need to repent right now. And if you don't repent right now, here's what's going to happen. Bad things are going to come later. God's judgment's going to come later. So repent now or bad things will happen later. Or, or it's it's return to God. It's return to God. God has punished you. But if you return, he will bring you back. Some have said prophecy is more about being forthtelling than it is about foretelling. I think that's true. This is not to say that there are not things concerning the future in the book of Revelation or in the other prophecies. Uh, That's true, there are. Uh, But we should not expect to be more accurate in our interpretation of the future than the Jews were who were expecting Christ. What we need to focus on predominantly in the book of Revelation is the commands for the very present moment. And if I might be so bold, I will try to summarize Revelation in one sentence. Uh, If I had to do that, it would be this sentence, Christ is returning, be ready. Note the emphasis there is on be ready, that is present action, something you should be doing now, not in the future. Uh, Let's think about this, shall we? Let's say Christ were to call you up. He is here in Bowling Green, he's actually over at the Cracker Barrel on the other side of I-65, and he gives you a call, and he says, hey, listen, I'd like to come to your house today and your wife maybe is in the background and says, honey, who is it? And you kept your hand on the phone and you say, it's Jesus. And and you say, well, that'd be fine, Jesus. What, when would you like to come? And he says, well, I'm, I'm over at the Cracker Barrel. Perhaps I could come right now. Your wife, meanwhile, is hissing. When's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? And you say, he's coming in 10 minutes. And because he's Jesus, you can't say, well, you know, uh, maybe you could wait. You've got to say, all right, uh, come on, Jesus. And so Jesus comes and as, as another preacher's imagined, he says, imagine what you do. You, you'd have to go through all the rooms in your house. You'd have to turn off all the, the reality TV that you've got on. You'd have to turn off SpongeBob SquarePants and a few other things. Because You don't want to have to explain that to Jesus. You don't want to have to explain what keeping up with the Kardashians is. You have to turn that off. You've got to go through the magazines on your table, and, and you've got to get rid of a few. And, and you put Christianity today and Christian standard on top, so that way it looks like you've been reading them. Uh, You blow the dust off your Bible, and and you dog ear a few pages in that Christian devotional magazine, so it looks like you've really been engaging it. As you run around the house tidying things up, your wife's already told the kids to get their rooms clean, and and just about the time you're going into the backyard to, to, to clear things out, you realize that getting ready for Jesus takes a little bit more than 15 minutes. As a matter of fact, church, it takes a lifetime, and God doesn't want to surprise you. God wants you to be ready. That's why he's excessively clear in this book that there is going to be a judgment coming, that there is going to be a definitive point in time when, et- when when history ends and the rest of eternity begins. And he's letting us know that it takes a little bit longer than 15 minutes to be ready. He wants us to be ready. That's why he takes care to explain the unclear. And I suspect that what remains unclear to us is our translation or removal from their culture. Did you note here at the end of the chapter that that Jesus says to John, he says, well, hey, listen, John, uh, as for the mystery of the seven stars, let me explain that to you. I I get the sense just from this chapter that Christ himself is saying, John, if anything doesn't make sense, I want you to let me know because we're going to explain it to you. I want this to be clear. I, I have a suspicion that when the churches got this book, they were encouraged by it more than they were confused by it. I will tell you, I've read through the book of Revelation a whole bunch. I will tell you what is not in the book of Revelation. Nowhere in the book of Revelation does it say churches in Asia Minor, you seven churches, you're not going to understand a word in here. And what I want you to do is to wrap it up, preserve it, keep it as part of the the Bible. And at some point in time in the late 1980s, a man by the name of Hal Lindsey will find it and will understand. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say keep this until uh till the turn of the century and all of a sudden a guy by the name of Tim Lahaye is going to understand it and it's all going to become clear. You you see, we have this 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 pride, this this arrogance that says the early church, this primitive church, didn't get the book. And it's not until we became sophisticated and and more mature that, that we now understand it. The truth is that I think the early church got this. The early church understood this, and when the early church read it, they went, oh that's great. I'm so glad that we have received this word. It is so encouraging to us. And so the key for us in understanding and applying the book of Revelation isn't to get a big long map on the wall. It's not to look to the future. It's to look back and to ask ourselves, how did the early church, how did the church that first opened this book, how did they understand it? And if we can get there, I think we'll find a great comforting message from God. If you go through here, we'll look at different messages and and pictures. Uh, The most dominant are are the pictures of God uh, that come through where we see Christ, the eternal ruler of the earth. We see Christ who loved us, saved us. And and as John says here in chapter 1, verse 6, raises us up into a kingdom of priests. God collects his people. We see that God is coming. We see that God is the beginning and the end, who was, who is, and who is to come. More than bowls and trumpets and beasts, we see that there's a beautiful image of God that comes out as a God who is just and perfect in the definition of beauty. And this is the God who's come for his people. I think if we recover these principles, this principle of reading it as the first church, this principle of going for the simplest understanding, you know, in logic, there's a law that says the the clearest and shortest explanation is to be preferred. Uh, I suspect that any interpretive theory of the book of Revelation that requires 30 extra pages or a wall graphic and map to explain is probably not right. I think what we need to do is find the simple, clear understanding that the first church had. And if we do that, then we will, in fact, be blessed to read, understand, and obey the words in Revelation. I know maybe if you read through Revelation up up front, you come to verse 3 where it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who keep it. And you think, well, of course they're blessed. Nobody understands this book. But I don't think God's saying it that way. I think that you are blessed when you read. And he assumes that you will understand, and if you're following God, you will not only read and understand, but you will apply and obey these words. Church, the words in Revelation are overwhelming, but not nearly as much as the truth that they convey. If we can only get past our fear of the book and read it with confidence in the Spirit's guidance as we do the other epistles, we will in fact be blessed. Now, I know one of the big things that we've got with the book of Revelation is it almost seems too much. It almost seems like over the top, the language is so vibrant and so full of life and so full of hyperbole, or at least it seems. I used to think that until I started really contemplating heaven and eternity. And I'll tell you, I don't think that it's all here. I think John's doing his best to keep up, but I think he falls behind. I came across a story of, of Marco Polo and And I think that perhaps this helps to explain this. Uh, Dr. Robert uh, Pedersen, he shares this. He says, Marco Polo's mother named him after the Gospel writer Mark in the hopes that he too would tell the Gospel truth. But 13th century Europeans found it impossible to believe Mark's tales of faraway lands. He claimed that when he was only 17, he took an epic journey, lasting a quarter of a century, taking him across the steppes of Russia, the rugged mountains of Afghanistan, the lands of Persia, and over the top of the world through the Himalayas. He was the first European to enter China, and through an amazing set of circumstances, he became a favorite of the most powerful ruler on planet Earth, the Kublai Khan. Mark saw cities that made European capitals look like roadside villages. The Khan's palace dwarfed the largest castles and cathedrals in Europe. It was so massive that his banquet room alone could seat 6,000 diners at one time, each eating on a plate of pure gold. Mark saw the world's first paper money, marveled at the explosive power of gunpowder. It would be the 18th century before Europe would manufacture as much steel as China was producing in the year 1267. He became the first Italian to taste that Chinese culinary invention, Pasta. As an officer of the Khan's court, he traveled to places no European would see for another 500 years. After serving the Kublai Khan for 17 years, Mark began his journey home to Venice, loaded down with gold, silk, and spices. When he arrived home, people dismissed his stories of a mythical place called China. His family priests rebuked him for spinning lies, and at his deathbed, family, friends, and priests begged him to recant his tales of China. But setting his jaw and gasping for breath, Mark spoke his final words. I have not even told you half of what I saw. Church, I want you to know that John has not told us half or a quarter or a tenth of all of the infinite wonder and amazement that awaits the faithful in eternity with God. And as we begin this journey in Revelation, I I pray that you would be praying that you would be reading, that you would be open to hearing, understanding, and obeying the words of Revelation. And if we do those things, I believe that John's words are true, that we will be blessed as we listen, as we understand, and obey the words of this Revelation.